Hello, ladies. Thank you all for coming out tonight. We have Sarah right here. She's going to share with us about the discipline of singleness. Yes. All right. So we're going to pray. Darian Father, we thank you, Lord, for this night. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we have to share um, your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you allow us to gather here, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for the willingness for everyone to come and gather and be with like-minded believers. We come right now, Lord, asking that you will bless Sarah as she brings forth what you would have her to say. And we pray, Lord, that we will all receive it and we will be blessed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Good evening, ladies. How are you all doing tonight? Okay, so I'm Sarah Hall, 19 years old. I've been attending Calvary Chapel for about four years, and I serve in junior high ministry. Last year, I got to join the women's Bible study, which was so much fun, so I'm excited to come here tonight and do this. Um, I currently am trying to finish up my aesthetic license, and I am going to finish up my Bachelor of Fine Arts soon. I live with my father, mother, brother, and am obviously single, so that's why I get to do this, which is exciting. So how I came to know the Lord Jesus as my Savior from sin was when I was six and a half. My mom read to me about Jesus and told me that he was going to save me, that he can save me from my sin if I choose to accept it, and that since then I've been changed because the Lord saved me, which was great, and he's continued to pursue me, and he has heard my prayers, and He just has showed me how his word can change people's lives, including mine. Over the years, the Lord has taught me one thing that really stands out, is that he is, should be, and will always be my first love. No boy can ever come in between that, and so I'm excited that he's always going to be first in my life. On a podcast recently, I have heard it was Dad Tired that our main purpose is to enjoy and worship God. This idea encouraged me because it says we can enjoy God and enjoy being with him in his word, in prayer, in community, and in worship. This idea points to the thought that singleness is more than just being physical. It is spiritual too. It says that we can be singly devoted towards God, that our first love is God and our single devotion is towards him. The physical aspect described by defined by Merriam-Webster's 1828 edition defines singleness as being unmarried, being single, only, separate, individual, and one. But the Bible, however, describes it as our sole focus in worship towards God. Now, just to clarify, ladies, those of you dating um, are still considered single, and those of you no longer married are also single. So what we're talking about tonight still applies to you, which is exciting. If you ladies would like to write these down, I'm going to read the chapter of the verse first, and then I'll read it. So in Acts 2, 46, it says, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. When the church received the Holy Spirit, they automatically just went into being community and solely serving God. Like Their focus was on God and blessing those around them. Ephesians 6, 5 says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. The Lord has placed you where you're at as a single lady. So that's with your parents, your siblings, your friends, your community. The Lord has called you to singly serve him and bless those around you with that focus. Colossians 3.22 says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, 
not with eye service as mere men pleasers, but with singleness of heart, fearing God. The Lord doesn't want us to just have actions. He wants us to have the right heart towards doing that, towards serving his kingdom, and so forth. These verses demonstrate how singleness is a posture of heart and how it can be applied to our daily lives. Every Christian's life should be a daily act of worship to our loving Father. Single women, honoring God by aiming to devote your body and spirit to him, as seen in 1 Corinthians 7.34, is just that. Which claims, an unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Some areas of life where we can worship are purity, prayer, working hard, serving, managing your money to further his kingdom, and modesty. Worshiping God in singleness is living a life of purity. And purity means to be unmixed from the world. So as daughters of Christ, as single ladies, we shouldn't live our single lives like the women of the world. The Lord has not called us to do those things. He's called us to live different and to be the light. Throughout the Bible, God calls us to abstain from all kinds of immorality, idolatry, sexual immorality, foul language, bad actions in the sort. I am guilty of committing like some of those. So it's like, you know, we're all sinners and we all need a savior, but the Lord is there to help keep us on the path. In Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, it says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live lies as Gentiles do, in futility of their thinking. They are darkened by their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We'll skip down to Ephesians 5, picking up in verse 1. Following God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walking in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be of obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The Lord has called us to be grateful for what he's given us and the life he's placed us in and the people around us. He calls us to always have a heart of worship and thanksgiving, even when life isn't going the way we want it to or plan it. Continuing in verse 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord, having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. A synonym of purity is innocence, which means the quality or state of being free from guilt or blame. The one who made us innocent before God is Jesus Christ through his purchase of our redemption. Therefore, we should live our lives as our loving Father has designed, called, 
and gifted to us. In the book that we're studying from, the book states, God assigns each person to be either married or single. So there's only two. You can't be in between. Paul writes, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. That's 1 Corinthians 7.17. What does it mean to be assigned a position? Generally speaking, the word assigned is used with regard to a post or duty. A duty is an obligatory task, conduct, service, or function that arises from one's position in life. In other words, God has a task for us to accomplish by means of our marital status, which is exciting because he has one for both married women and single women. So we should approach the assignment of singleness with grateful hearts for what the Lord has assigned us. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The word for assigned also means to be called. Your marital status is not an accident. God planned it. He even determines our time and place in history in order that the circumstances he assigns us might drive us to him. Each of us has a calling to come closer to Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12 reads, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Not many are called to this life of singleness for their entire life. It might just be a season. Right now, though, this is your calling. So, married ladies, this is going to be hard to hear, but don't force your single friends to get married. Like, I know you're trying to match make, set them up. It's nice and all, but the Lord might also have another plan for them right now in this season. The Lord has a calling for everyone, and it may not be the one you wished for that person to receive. I know people in my family have been trying to be, you got to get that. So, marital status can change, but our hearts should always be singly devoted to God and drawn closer to him throughout our life. This is our ultimate calling. You are called to your life of marriage, and single ladies, you are called to yours. There is a meaning to a single lady's life. She can serve the Lord with her whole heart. She is free to do whatever she wants, when she wants. And she is not accountable to anyone except Jesus for how she spends her money and time. This does bring up something, though. You need accountability. I was blessed recently to have a mentor, and she pours into me. She feeds the word of the Lord into me. And so that is able to show in my family life, my friend life, and my church life. Without that, I wouldn't have the mentorship and the word of God coming into me like I would right now. And we all know that when we step away from God and choose to hide, things can happen and sin can start to turn up and we get caught in things that we didn't think we would get ourselves caught into. So always have those people you trust. Two or three women, go to them, ask for prayer, pray for them too, because it's a relationship. It's not just a one-way street. So just know that you need accountability because sin happens. So... This leads me into the thought that also singleness does have cons. While there are benefits and freedom to being single, you do get lonely. You do want that physical intimacy. And you do want to have those cute pictures of your boyfriend or your husband on your Facebook page that everyone has and they're having the best time ever. And you also have that experience where you're the only single lady at a party where everyone's got a boyfriend or they're married and they don't know how to handle you. It's okay. You can be single because the Lord has a purpose for your life, and it's not what they've been called to, but it's what you've been called to for this season. So just keep that in mind. 
These are some pressures I've experienced, and some days I truly do. I pray, I complain, I wish that God would change it. But right now, I truly find more satisfaction, hope, and peace in being single right now than if I was to have a boyfriend. Because the Lord is, when you're single, you get to know about the Lord more. You're able to focus on the Lord more. You're able to be in the Word and serve more than a married woman is because she has so much more to juggle with her plate, which is amazing that you women do that. So just keep that in mind. Also, be aware of jealousy. Jealousy is really easy when you're wanting to, you want what someone else has. So pray that the Lord can uproot that because it can start without you noticing. Remember always, though, that Christ is our first love, that he has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives according to his will, and he will bless you with the blessings he has in store for your life. The Lord always wants to fill your cup and for it to brand over, and he wants to bless you, and he knows what life he has called you to. He is a God and a grace of mercy. And out of this grace and mercy, he has given you the gift of singleness. It is a gift. 1 Corinthians 7, 7 reads, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. This is referring to marriage. The author of Disciplines of Godly Woman writes this about singleness and about her granddaughters. Paul and Jesus are saying the same thing. Singleness is a gift, a gift for the kingdom of God. Unlike an assignment to duty or a calling to ministry, a gift is grace. A gift often implies special favor by God. The favor of singleness means God has bestowed dignity and honor to a position that had formerly been regarded as less than desirable. The Old Testament and the New Testament, the New Testament actually balances out and elevates singleness equal with marriage in the New Testament compared to the Old Testament. So that's a blessing the Lord has given that position, honor, and favor. She goes on to say that she wants her granddaughters to receive the gift of singleness joyously if God graciously gives it to them. All gifts in life can either be accepted joyously or unwanted. You've all had that gift that you've received that you're like, I really didn't want that. And you've also had that gift where you're like, you know me so well, this is an amazing gift. Most people approach singleness as if it's an unwanted gift. But try and focus on it as a joyous gift. Married women also have this experience being married. They wonder if they've married the right man. Well, the Lord says that if you're married, he's the right man. So there's the answer to that one. Take delight in the marital status where the Lord has placed you and take delight in the Lord. Remember, he's the one who's filling your cup. Single ladies, the gift of singleness includes your time, friends, church, your desires and goals, your money, yourself, and most importantly, God. Jesus is our Lord. Luke 6, 46 repeats this, saying he is our Lord. So why do we not serve him and live our life to honor him in the way he has created us? This includes our marital life. Singleness is overall a physical and spiritual state in which those called worship the Father with their gifts, talents, time, money, friends, and self. A single lady is not focused on a marriage and family ministry, but is rather focused on her Father in heaven and her place in the church and society. At her core, single devotion, single devotion towards God guides her purpose. Here are two Bible verses to wrap up which encourage me to trust in the Lord and praise him for this beautiful gift we are given. If you would like to turn with me to Psalms 119, verses 9 through 16. Again, that's Psalms 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. 
I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And the other one is Psalms 37, 3 through 6. Psalms 37, 3 through 6. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the noonday sun. Your vindication like the noonday sun. So, Mary ladies, here's your turn to hear Miss Joanna talk about this. And she has a treat of the word of God for you. Let's pray again. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Lord, for this night again. And we thank you, Lord, right now. And I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share. We thank you, Lord, for Sarah's testimony of singleness. And we thank you, Lord, for all that she's shared and that she's enduring and that she's dedicating to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for her committing her ways unto you. And we pray, Lord, that we will all continue to commit our ways to you, no matter if we're single or married. In the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for this day, and we pray that um, everything that is said here tonight will be received and that we will walk away being helped through your word of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, tonight we're going to review the discipline of marriage with an emphasis on submission to framework. Now, many of you here tonight are already married. There are some of you that are newlyweds and others that are single and waiting and anticipating becoming married. Considering such, at some point in our lives, many of us have created grand imaginations and or special plans for our special edition of our fairy tale wedding day. Many of, our, m- many of us have role played with neighboring friends, some of us with stuffed animals, and others with our dolls. Well, however you role-played with your childhood fantasies regarding your wedding day and your life in marriage, many of us can confirm that our reality was far from the Barbie doll dream house with the perfectly assembled nursery and the carefree and glamorous life with an endless wardrobe and a convertible Ferrari. I can personally attest to some of the mishaps that occurred on my wedding day. And this is a part of the background story is that I planned our wedding during my second year of college while living in the university's dormitory and working two jobs, which I highly do not recommend. Okay, don't do it. So here we go. Get ready for the roller coaster. All right. So I made a logical error. I mean, a logistic error. And I paid for our floral arrangements in full but I forgot to provide the florist with the wedding location. Next, since I was the first bride-to-be wed at 11 a.m., one of my best friends and I, and she was also one of the bridesmaids, we decided to show up early to prepare for my special day, but we were refused entry and was told to return later. So we went to her house, and I helped her with her hairstyle issues, And upon returning to the wedding venue in a rush, I ended up having to get my makeup on 
and getting dressed in 15 minutes flat. During the scramble, that same friend attempted to fluff my dress and she accidentally smudged her lipstick and stained the bottom front of my wedding dress. Then my cousin, which was also the maid of honor, pulled me aside and confessed that she had accidentally forgot Tony's wedding band at home and she had to borrow a substitute until she could later retrieve his ring after the ceremony. Then after the wedding ceremony was over, Tony and I were greeting family members as newlyweds outside the venue in preparation to depart to our reception location. Then Tony said to me, honey, how are we going to get there? I said, I have no clue. (laughs) Something else I forgot. (laughs) But right after I said that, one of his best friends, who was also one of the groomsmen, pulled up in a rented red Ford Mustang convertible. (laughs) So I said, ooh, God is so awesome and always on time. Praise the Lord. (laughs) However, after the reception... I later discovered that my bridesmaid's gifts were stolen, most likely by the employees at the venue. Although we couldn't afford to have a honeymoon in Hawaii, we did successfully make proper living arrangements and secured an apartment for rent. But even this pre-planned arrangement was delayed, and our move-in date was changed. So we had to stay with my cousin, her husband, and child, for a short period of time because we couldn't move in right away as planned. Nonetheless, all the preparation in the world or a lack thereof never prepares anyone for the unknown events that will take place before or during marriage. What really matters in a marriage is the discipline of marriage, and the only way to achieve this is through submission framework. So the question is, what is submission's framework? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Submission frame, submission's framework is our total submission to the Godhead, first to, first to God and then to each other. A marriage can and will be leveled to gravel without both the husband and wife being equally yoked and committed to submitting to God which we all know to be God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, which we call the Trinity. In the midst of everything that was seemingly going wrong or not as planned, I said, praise be to God anyway. What I had already done was I had made up my mind prior to the wedding day that no matter what happened or didn't happen, that I would still be grateful and thankful unto the Lord. I had already committed my thoughts and my attitude and my will towards the will of my heavenly father. So ladies, when we submit to the father, it's much easier for us to submit to our husbands. So now let's examine what God's will was and still is for marriage and discover some of the disciplines that are necessary to maintain it. The institution of marriage, of course, is found in the beginning when God made all of creation in the book of Genesis. So if you could um, all please turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. 
And it reads, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And help meet here is a helper or a companion. Verse 19, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to all the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her forth unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. In these scriptures, we see God's divine handiwork. We witness God's compassion on man. When he said that it is not good for man to be alone and that he will make a help meet for him. Throughout the following scriptures, Uh, In verses 19 and 20, we see and understand that God had equipped man to to be prepared to receive the woman. Adam was equipped with having proper living arrangements, or as we would say, a prepared place to live. And he had a job. In verse 21, we see God's perfect divine surgery when he removed one of Adam's ribs and called and created woman. In verses 21 through 22, and then brought the woman to the man. Immediately we see that he loved her and named him after himself. In verse 23, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I love this scripture in its practicality. This scripture provides a clear directive that the woman is to take on the man's name. Pretty much similar how we take on our husband's last name when we are married. In verse 24 through 25, we see that the unity after a marriage is a commitment that is solely between the Godhead, the husband, and the wife as they are now one flesh. Additionally, we find that they are literally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically bare or naked, as the scripture states, with one another, and that they are not ashamed. Just as there is only truth in our Godhead, I believe that this was set forth to be a model scripture for our marriages. Marriage Oh, in the mar- in the realm of marriage, it is um, is provided a clear directive to be forthcoming, honest, and always truthful and faithful with one another. 
since this union is a holy matrimony and God is who he is, who knows all, sees all and all powerful, then it is clear and understood that there is no room for dishonesty or secrecy. However, as the scriptures progress in chapter three, this is exactly what causes the downfall of mankind. Chapter two concludes with a happily blessed newlywed couple. Then in chapter three, verse one reads that the serpent was more subtle or cunning than any beast of the field in which the Lord God had made. In this chapter, we encounter Eve being deceived by the trickery of the serpent. Eve then shares the forbidden fruit with her husband and mankind falls because of the disobedience. Everyone involved is and thereafter is cursed in our marriages. We have to be rooted in the word of God. Eve had God's clear instructions, but was tricked. Adam also knew the instructions and chose disobedience. But we are no different and will fall to the same sin if we are not steadfast in God's word. The way that we stand, the way that we stay on God's course is to follow, learn and understand that from the beginning, God's framework for marriage is modeled after the Godhead. The husband represents Christ and as the grooms, as the groomsmen and the wife represents the church as the bride. In order for us to accomplish God's design as wives, that being a help meet to our husbands, we must first submit ourselves to the Godhead. In doing so, we have to arm ourselves with God's holy word daily. Our first defense and weapon is to read God's word, learn God's word, and apply God's word daily to every situation in our lives and to teach it to our children and share it with unbelievers. In the Old Testament, Joshua 1 verse 8 reads, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. In the New Testament, Psalms 1, verses 1 through 3 reads, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. This scripture here lets us know not to travel into a downward spiral of sin that will ultimately separate us from God. Verse 2 reads, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And here again, we see that we are to study God's word daily. Verse three reads, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. We have to guard ourselves in our marriages and remember first John two sixteen, which states 
For all that is in the world, the the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Next, we have to keep good Christian company. 2 Corinthians 6.14 reads, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Therefore, we must... Endure, uh, just as Philippians 2, verse 2 reads, when we have to, uh, when we need to fulfill ye my joy, ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. In doing so, as married couples, we all need to attend church together and to continue building our faiths and praying together and continuing to be unified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6 verse 2 reads, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law, the law of Christ. Lastly, as it is stated in Ephesians 6 verse 10 through 12, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Ladies, Stand up for your marriages and never throw in the towel. And may you all continue to be blessed. Amen.